it was over at that point, dude. Found Ron Paul, started just listening to hours and hours and hours of videos of like, mm-hmm. I never heard a politician speak and say things that made so much sense and so simple. Right. Like it, it, it just, it just like a light bulb, dude. And it, yeah, I, I, I truly say that like, he's one of my biggest heroes in life, Ron Paul. He really woke me up oh, yeah. to like the no. idea of liberty, man. And when, yeah, when you're his gonna... time comes and he's gone, it's going to be a very sad day. And it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down. So it was training and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. With your host, Mike Paul. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. I'm voluntarily not watching the Bears today. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a Bears game today. Six game losing streak. <laughs> they started they started the year five and one and they're five and seven now. You know, the the Bears were like one of my first uh obsessions when I was a kid. Um you know, I was just so into it. I knew every single Walter Payton stat, every player on the roster. Um, I just I was like obsessed with bears, cars, and like the monkeys. It was like my favorite band when I was a little kid, you know. With the monkeys. Yeah, until I realized they were just like the first boy band. I didn't realize it was all manufactured music I was listening to. I'm too proud for that these days, but still I, good. Still good though. They're still good. I gotta give them that. Some catchy tunes there. You know, Neil Diamond wrote most of it, so Neil Diamond's great. Yeah, you but. can do no wrong. <laughs> but yeah, the Bears, though. And then I just I got older and older. And I think by the time I was like a teenager, I was like, you know, these guys don't really bring any value to my life. Like this emotional roller coaster I ride when they win or lose. And it ruins my Monday when they lose. I have no say in it. It just like. It, see, it, this, this is my philosophy when it comes to sports and being a mindless fan of something. It's like I acknowledge that I'm just a fan of a uniform and it's it's mindless. And I think sports in general are this, uh, this example of, you know, man's desire to be part of a tribe and just have like this, this irrational loyalty to this thing. And, you know, I think that's innate in people. So that comes out a lot in things like religion or politics where people kind of band together and they have this cognitive dissonance about the, the merits of their side. And I think that's burned into to humans in general. So to me, I look at sports and it's like, okay, this is how I can exercise that impulse. Like, I, you know, I, you don't want that when it comes to your political beliefs or anything. It's like, you should try to be as objective and, and fair as possible and not be a hypocrite. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's for me, it's, it's an excuse uh, and a reason to lose my mind and be mindlessly devoted to this thing uh, for three hours on Sunday. Um, and then completely detach yourself when it's over. Like if the bears win or lose, I mean, if they, if they ever won a super bowl or whatever, I think my mood the next day would be, you know, ecstatic, but the same way when the Cubs won the world series in 2016, and that just had a lot of weight with it. Um, but yeah, I don't let it bring me down. It's like, I try to have it. It's like a check valve. Like I'm only going to enjoy this. And if it's, uh, if, if they're terrible and they suck ass, then I'm just going to have fun bitching and complaining. Cause it's also fun to do with people like, like, <laughs> yeah, man, they, the Ryan pace has got to go. This is enough. You know, it's, <laughs> I know I totally understand. And I, I have nothing against football. I love the game. I mean, I, I love football. I love watching football. Um, but yeah, once again, it's just kind of like the tribalism I kind of steered away from, but um, it's, you know, and the other thing that always bothered me is like, just because, one of my, my great great grandfather settled in Chicago. Now I'm forced to be a fan of this team that sucks. Yes. Like, yeah, like yep. it just drives me crazy. It's like, like I always was envious of my because we live right on the Illinois Wisconsin border growing up. Like, so half my class was always Packer fans, and they just got like all these Super Bowls all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys are like the devil, so I can't be on your side. You know, you guys win all the time, and yeah, but to stuck. me, it's like somebody the kind of guy that would root for a team cause he's from that area. And like, he grew up cheering for this team and then would switch teams and cheer for another team. That yeah. guy's a snake. You don't want that guy in your life. You know, I it's like it. you, but like to me, there's nothing that's the, like the people that are the most loyal in the world are like Detroit lions fans, Cleveland Browns. Like they suck. They've sucked their entire lives. They've never showed any promise of winning a championship ever. And they're still loyal to them. To me, it's like that is a badge of honor. Like yeah, good I, for you, 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 you know, devoted yourself to to being loyal. 
I had this uh, kid in my elementary class who every single year, whoever won the Super Bowl, that's like his coat, his folder, everything would be the previous uh, Super Bowl yeah, champ. Fuck that kid. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened to him. I haven't seen him since fifth grade. But uh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, he liked to he liked to follow winners. Yeah, I mean, I guess who doesn't? But that <laughs> you can't choose winners. That's like if you know whether it was uh, Biden or Trump that won the election, you're just gonna you're gonna be like the number one supporter of whoever it is. It's like. How, how does that work? You know, you just, you, you like winning. You're just a barnacle that attaches yourself to winners. You don't want to be part of something, the ups and downs. Like, no, man, I'm not, I don't like downs, man. Only ups. I'm always on the winner. I, that way you always win. It's like, okay, I guess you could do that, but you're just kind yeah, of, uh, what's the fun in that? There's no, there's no, uh, rush. Yeah. So, yeah. You only want success and no failure. It's, it's like you want to use, you know, cheat codes in a video game. I mean, is that, that's the idea. Yeah. Hey, uh, our guest is here. Would you like to go ahead and introduce him? Uh, our guest today is Justin Wetzel. He's a professional MMA fighter and somebody that I met a few years back at a tournament. Um, and long story short, we became Facebook friends, discovered pretty quickly that we shared a lot of uh, political beliefs. And uh, because of that, um, always have sort of stayed in touch over social media and whatnot. And, you know, having started oh. the podcast, I thought it'd be a great idea to have him come on and talk about fighting and politics and where those two collide. Justin, how you doing? Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. That was fun listening to your story of how we met. Yeah, basically met in a tournament, became Facebook friends, so real friends, and then quickly saw uh, we were very like-minded when it comes to the political spectrum. Yeah. And you know, this is uh this is something that's funny because we've had a couple uh martial artists on before. Um Rich Whitenack, who's a former pro kickboxer, the owner of my gym, and then Tom Holder, who's uh uh you know fought for Bellator. And the reason we brought Tom on is because he is big into Austrian economics and actually sells mm-hmm. infinite banking concept policies. So he's like very in the weeds in the personal wow. finance version of, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with IBC, but it's uh, basically a way to subvert the banking system and become your own banker. So okay. anyway, what's what's weird is we were just talking about this, but it's it's bizarre to me how you look at other sports like the NFL, NBA, MLB, like right now they all have these kind of like social justice activist things. And uh-huh. if Drew Brees or Tom Brady says so much as I think we should respect the flag, all of a sudden they're like in the KKK to everybody. But for some reason, MMA fighters seem to have this license to, you know, have unorthodox political beliefs and they don't really get any backlash. Why do you think that is? That's a great question. I mean, you do get the black, the backlash, I guess, if you go to all you got to do is scroll on Twitter, Twitter and you'll find like just a cesspool of, uh, <laughs> you know, righteous warriors ready to condemn everyone. I don't know. I don't know if that's because like uh, people just look at it as like, fighting as like kind of a dis- different aspect of, of the sport it's not so much a ball sport i don't know if that comes into play but um yeah that is a good point because it's also uh in basketball football baseball they're kind of a collective right so they're part of the team they're representing a team whereas mma you're all individual contractors right you're your own entity so I think there's a lot less to uh, to to lose or like backlash to come if you uh, if you're part of like a team collective and you say the wrong thing, you know, like you just said, I think you should respect the flag. Well, now you're representing like your whole team, and I think there's a lot more strings that can get pulled out if you're uh, part of like a ball sport team. Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. We talked about that with uh, Rich a little bit about how I think a lot of the fact that your sport is so reliant on individuality it creates a lot of people that are very um free thinkers very brilliant people i, I noticed a lot of people that are in jujitsu or, or any of the ufc they're very they're not meatheads like i originally stereotyped yeah. before i started meeting them uh, a lot of them- <laughs> yeah exactly a lot of that is because they they have to get so disciplined and, and hold themselves accountable to get to the level where, where you guys are at you know mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the one thing I didn't want to jump too hard, too far ahead of, uh, I guess we should backtrack a little bit because we don't know each other super well. What is your backstory? How did, what's the origin story of Justin Wetzel? How did you get into MMA? MMA. Okay. So, oh man, this is, this is uh, buckle up for a long one. All right. So, uh, I'll take you to the root of the story. 
Uh, 17 year old me with a couple high school buddies with a couple girls playing uh, mini golf at our little corn town, you know, like five, 6,000 people. You know, uh, we're badasses, right? You know, 16, 17, nothing can fucking hurt us. So we're playing mini golf on like the first or second hole. And there's a group of kids in front of us. And one of my buddies just like starts calling them. He's like, hey, queers. Hey, fags. You know, just talking shit, right? Um, like, you know them, dude? He's like, nope. Oh, okay. Okay. So about an hour goes by. We're on like the 15th, 16th hole. And then all of a sudden it was like a clown car, dude. Like two of them pulled up these cars at this parking lot and tons of people are filing out of these cars, dude. Like, and it's like, there's little kids, there's old, like old ladies, young girls, like grandpas, construction workers, the group of kids we were yelling at, they like store, dude, I swear like 20, 30 people come out of all these cars. Wow, and, and they storm this mini golf like course we're on, and uh, they 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 basically just punked us out, right? They surrounded us, but we could do nothing. Like we, they made us little bitches. Like, oh, we're sorry, please don't hurt us. Uh, but after that, me and my buddy like, man, we need to learn like how to defend ourselves. So all I had done to that point was just wrestle in high school, but we had like watched like UFC MMA shows and stuff like that. But I it never felt like so like punked out and like helpless like around like other people. So I wanted to learn like how to defend myself. So uh, I started uh, basically just watching like grappling videos on YouTube, and me and my buddy would uh, like practice moves on the trampoline. Uh, summer going into school, so one of my buddies who wrestled going into school, I I told him what we were doing. Like, hey, we were doing like grappling shit on the on, on the trampoline and. One of he's like, well, one of my friends was like doing striking drills during some, during the summer or some shit. You guys want to like fight, like have a fight with like rounds, gloves, mouthpieces, and everything. We'll do it at Thomas Park Friday after school. Okay, yeah, let's do it. You know, just thinking, okay, we're getting a, like a fight, right? Like, so this was like my first like real experience with like it's as silly as it might sound with like a fight, like. This this was decided like on a Monday or Tuesday of school, and I'm going through the halls, being like, "Hey, pussy, you're gonna get your ass beat. You're gonna get fucking killed, like shit <laughs> like that." Like, dude, gonna beat your ass. So we get to this uh, Friday comes after school. We we'll get to the park, and it's like this closed-in park area where it's right off the main road in town, but there's like a circular area of trees covering everything, so it's completely closed off. I get there, dude, and there's like 50 fucking kids from school there. There's like a big circle crowd. There's a dude in the middle, like that. I'm gonna fight. Like he's already like ready. He's got his shorts on, mouthpiece gloves. He's like, you know, warming up, jumping in the middle. It's like, holy shit! Like this is like actually going down. Um. So yeah, I I get gloved up, mouthpiece, shorts. Uh, we fight, and I just kind of lay and pray, took him down. Eventually, like submit him with the rear naked choke. But dude, it was it was amazing, dude. I, like the fear and anxiety, like going into before a competition was there, the the feeling, the satisfaction of winning, uh, the like the crowd, the people there. We ended up like putting on like three or four shows, if you will, um, <laughs> which just just random. Like me and my buddy who wrestled, like that was our only experience. We just wrestled, but we would like match make people up in like high school and shit. Like, do you want to fight this guy? Do you want to fight that guy? Do you want to fight this guy? And uh, me and him fought like three or four times. We won all our fights, but as like after that was over, like I had to stop because my wrestling coach was like, "What the fuck are you doing, dumbass? Like, <laughs> you got you got another season of wrestling. You have to stop." Like, okay, yeah, fair enough, right? But uh, that was my first experience with it, man. Before anything, and like the thrill, like the adrenaline of like going into the fight, the win, all that, man. That it, it was addicting, and I just knew that I wanted to keep doing that after high school, regardless of what happened in wrestling. Yeah. You know, that's, what's, uh, what's funny is when you talk to every fighter, they all have some sort of story where there was like a, a light bulb that flipped and they're like, yeah. okay, I need to actually start training for me. And I mean, I'm not an MMA fighter. Like I, I stuck with just Brazilian jujitsu for the listeners, mm -hmm. but, uh, for me, it was, I, I was the youngest of four boys growing up. So just constantly getting my ass beat by my brothers and their friends. And I just like, I'm like, yeah, this, this sucks. I should probably learn how to do something. And then, uh, you know, watched UFC 100 when I was a freshman in high school. And nice. then that kind of, and then I started wrestling after that because I've said this on the show before, but I, I just didn't think my parents would let me do MMA or jujitsu. I'm like, no, they're going to see that as, as like this, you know, 
human cockfighting thing because that was still kind of the mm-hmm. stigma back in like 2008 2009 so yeah. uh so then i'm like but they should let me wrestle and i heard joe rogan say that you know wrestling's a great base so got into wrestling um and then yeah but it was just that that feeling of insecurity and then once you actually start training like the reasons that you come to martial arts are never the reasons that you stay you know and uh i guess for you it was the the crowd thing i guess that makes a lot of sense when it comes to like your origin story of actually fighting because now you're a professional with uh your record is what six and one seven and one six and one yep six and one okay and you're fighting for lfa at the moment is that right yeah um i'll give you a little insider info though um i think i can reveal this um I uh so I, I signed up they're doing the ultimate fighter bantamweights and middleweights coming up here soon. Um I applied for that and got a call back. I made it to the final interview stage. Um they're supposed to do the casting this month. Everything was looking pretty promising as long as my uh medicals and background check were passed, but due to the black plague slash COVID, uh <laughs> they pushed it, they pushed it back another three months. So I'm kinda just in that limbo where I'm I'm looking to, you know, if another fight with LFA comes up, something that, that makes sense, I'll take it. But at the same time, kind of, I don't want to lose my spot on the Ultimate Fighter if I get it. So it's just kind of the waiting game right now to see what develops. But yeah, yeah no, that's that's a, uh, no, that's that's incredible. I I, I think I. I can't remember if I had seen that or not. I knew that like it was on the table for you. I think I might've seen you post about it on Facebook, but getting to the last, uh, the last stage of that, that's awesome. And that's the other thing I was going to ask you about. And I know uh, a handful of fighters who have had a lot of frustrations this year with all of the COVID stuff. And I know that you've had a handful of fights canceled in the not too distant past here. So when you're uh, younger, how old are you? I'm 28. So it's like, Now's the time, man. I'm coming into like my prime yeah. physically. It's time to go. So I was kind of like, I was having like an MMA midlife crisis a couple months ago. And it was just like, it's time to get these fights. It's time to, like, I was talking to Alistair over and he's on our team. I was talking to him and he was telling us, uh, he was telling me, he's like, oh, you know, you're pretty young, right? Like you're 23, 24. I'm like, no, dude, I'm like almost 29. He's like, oh, it's time to go, man. Like when you're in your 20s, like you got to get the fights, get, get your fights in and establish yourself. And I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And I mean, it's people like you were, yeah, it is, it is time to go. And you're talking about getting on the ultimate fighter. It's like, you know, you're coming into your prime here. Cause I mean, a lot of people, it's different for every, every, uh, you know, every person, but a lot of people say like early to mid thirties is kind of a fighter's prime if you take care of your body and everything. But it's it's people like MMA fighters that are like we were talking about before they're their own contractor and you know kids who are like let's say a, a baseball player that's that was your junior year of high school they just got cut short or senior in high school where it's yeah. like it's it's not the virus itself doing this again it's our response to the virus yeah. that is you know taking these dreams and these opportunities away yeah. from people it's like you have people who are willing to work their asses off to accomplish some goal some dream they've had and through no fault of their own it's being taken away from them and honestly scientifically there is no justification for it. So what is, wow. what has it been like? And I know the MMA community as a whole has pretty much, you know, been in lockstep with what we're saying, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing that the tougher thing is dealing with state athletic commissions and promotions. Is that pretty much it? Yeah. Uh, more so state athletic commissions. Cause I think, uh, I think nine out of 10 promoters would be okay with putting on shows though. It's, and that's that comes to the whole conversation of state athletic commissions. Like, I keep asking myself, like, I'll be like, why is, like, what other sport has, like, a, a government body regulating the sport? There's no government body, like, MLB, NFL, like, they have their own commission, their own internal. And I get it, you know, it's 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 a violent sport, it's fighting, so, once again, you know, government's going to come in in the name of safety to do all this, but if you didn't have like a, a an athletic commission body, I think there could be a lot more benefits to the promotion and to the fighters itself. You know, like you don't got to shell out 15, 10, 15, 20 grand to a athletic commission body just for them to be at your, at your show for them to sit around on their phones and barely watch the fights. I mean, I don't know. That, that's kind of a whole other conversation of its own, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. You can't underestimate how many people are programmed and like are go, go with the mainstream narrative. And yeah, like think it's all dory. Yeah, it's it's my it's crazy, man. 
but I think to your point, like a lot of uh, the fighting community is on that on that side you're talking about, where they kind of see past what's really going on. Yeah. So, how exactly did you come uh, to your political ideology? You gave us your fighting backstory. It seems like no one's really born with a libertarian mindset. It's more like you no. came from the right or the left. Um, yeah. Like the the programming, like I think we all grow up like to be around is it's it's very left leaning. It's like every media outlet is very left leaning. So the default, I think, like growing up is you know, left, the leftist ideals. Uh, for me, fighting is wanting to be a better fighter is ultimately what led me down to like my political awakening, if you will. I was uh, nineteen at the time, and uh, I had just finished my uh, I just had my third amateur fight. So 2011, and I remember thinking after that fight, I was like, I uh, I want to start taking this more seriously, and I want to uh, I want to learn how to like. I was reading uh, a lot of Bruce Lee works, and he was talking about food. He was talking about how your body's like a vessel, how your body's like a car, and if you want to, uh, you know, what kind of gas do you want to put in your car? Do you want to put in unleaded gas, or do you want to put in like premium, premium like race race car fuel, which is your food? So. I just started learning like about ingredients and in food, learn how to read labels, learn how to read nutrition. And that of course led me down the rabbit hole of learning about like the past corruption of the FDA, the USDA, and how they allow like all these crazy like preservatives, ingredients, and just terrible, terrible like ingredients into our food supply. And it's like everywhere you go and see, it was crazy, man. Like during this time, I worked like as a cashier at a Walmart, and I remember like when I learned how to read ingredients, I would like zone aisles out or whatever, and I would read like all the food boxes, and they were all like bullshit. Like ninety nine percent of everything was just like crap ingredients, like enriched wheat, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, like hydrogenated oils. And I remember thinking like, like how can like how can we as humans be so stupid that we're eating this shit? So I did like a random Google search. It was like human stupidity food poisoning and the first i don't know if you know who uh mike adams is he's uh uh naturalnews.com he's been on infowars a couple times in the past um but he basically had this long long article about like um, the food supply and how the fda like has shut down like people that have like like have like actual healthy like medicine and food because it wasn't like approved by the government and how the government passes along like all these preservatives and all these like this crap and additives that's allowed in there so that was like that was the I don't know, the food industry is like one tentacle of this big giant monster that is government so that was like my pathway to like understanding like I don't know, like to get into the libertarian mindset I guess you could say because... that was the original red pill yes exactly for me it was yeah learning how to eat better and then learning like oh government is involved in that somewhere or another too and they find a way to ruin that yeah <laughs> yeah it's like any it's, there's always one government entity that someone stumbles upon and, and realizes how inefficient and bad they are at the job they're supposed to be doing and it's like why why do we even have these people and why am i paying for it you know yeah. uh, you know because we've grown up doing a lot of um business and uh, car dealerships and everything and just the red tape with all these departments they have to, the hoops you got to jump through it's like and then they just rob you at the end of it it's like you're yeah. a very lousy business partner like i give you 40 percent of my my earnings for what just so you don't yeah, it's, it's a forced business partner too it's not even like a partner it's like we are going to be partner <laughs> like and you're going to be fine with whatever quality i provide and yeah. you're still going to pay me yeah, you know what's funny is you're talking about how like just having that one red pill moment just on on the food industry and then you start questioning other things. And there's something similar, I think, what what happens with a lot of people is they'll happen upon some news story in a field where they actually happen to be educated and they mm -hmm. watch just how badly like the New York Times or uh, you know, like whoever, CNN will get something wrong. And it's not even like, oh, these you know, these guys are, are so silly and incompetent. It's like, no, they know that they're misleading you. Uh, you know, yeah. Mike and I actually have a funny story. This was in Roscoe and Rockford. Uh, I think it was two or three years ago. There was this really bad flood. I think we had rain for like three straight days. Oh, yeah. And in Rockford, it, there was flooding like all downtown. And one of the hospitals, it was like three feet of water and it was like pouring in the main floor. 
and uh, and they had like just tons of damage. And then in Roscoe, you know, which is about a half hour north of Rockford, uh, there was also flooding. And in front of this Schnooks grocery store, there was this ditch that had this long stretch of water. And one of because Mike lived in Roscoe at the time, one of his neighbors took his jet ski out and he was zipping up and down in the ditch and people were like stopping and laughing and videotaping him. And uh, and it was it was hilarious. And then, you know, come later that night, it might have been the next day. But on national news, I don't know if it was CNN or like CBS or something, NBC, they showed a video of the guy zipping up and down in the jet ski. And they said this man was heroically going to these flooded hospitals and people's rooftops and saving them and bringing them back to safety. And it's like, wait, guy, like we we all saw this. Like you saw it with your own eyes, Mike. Yeah, Yeah, well, it wasn't wasn't even my neighbor. It was was a kid I knew who lived in town. He's a couple years younger than me. I I just sold him a, a car. I had a Nissan 240 drift car. That is, so he's like just a gearhead. So I sold him this uh, 600 horsepower drift car. And he, uh, so I knew him. We were friends on Facebook. And he's just like, post the next day, like, guys, look, I'm a national hero. I'm over national news. Like, just for taking this jet ski to flooded ditch. But yeah, I was like, wow, they will manufacture stories. For, no, so he, no, was just, he was just cruising around in a ditch on his jet ski, like having fun. But they yeah, started as it was oh flooded God, like four out, it was like four foot deep water. He just trailed his jet ski over there and it was like it was like a two hundred foot section. He was just bopping back and forth and people were just laughing and filming it. But yeah, I was Media, like bro. Dude, if they'll lie about this, a story that means nothing yeah. doesn't have to be in the news. Yeah, what, exactly. What things? Exactly. If they're willing to deceive about something that means absolutely nothing, that's that's why like it's programming, man. It's like unless like by the time you like the truth, you know the truth, but by the time you know the truth and start spreading it. That lie has already spread across the world, and everyone's bought in and believed it. So it's it's nuts. There, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the it's insidious deception or if they're just extremely lazy and need to get a story out to push like a rating or what, man. But it's yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I think it's a lot of that. And then you have like uh, they'll admit that when it comes to like the southeast and the Gulf Coast and hurricanes, when they know that a hurricane is going to be a dud they'll hype it up and say like, everybody's boarding up their businesses and they, they do this thing where they make it a national story about how the South is bracing for impact when they know that it's not going to be that bad. But then if they get word that things are expected to be really bad with just like the state of the levees and everything, uh, they'll tell people like, uh, you know, just, just board up and it's not going to be that bad. And they're like, well, yeah, we don't want people to be congesting the highways. So we tell people it's not going to be bad when they could be taking more preventative measures. So it's yeah. like none of this has to do with actually educating their viewers or anything like that. It's all about getting eyeballs on the TV and keeping people yep. in that state of oh, fear or amusement. Oh, oh yeah, like that's what they want. They want people glued like to see the next – like now you're seeing it with just like here's all these numbers going upwards. Here's this chart with deaths. And it's just like going up, 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 up. Be scared. Tune in. See what's next. Right. It'd be such a better world if if all this stuff was just decentralized. Like if the whole country didn't watch the same four networks. It would, that for it's like a one size fits all news. Like what if we just had you know each community has their own news source and you know they report national topics, but not everything's the same official story across the board. You know, it's like that's really it's right for propaganda. Oh, yeah. I mean, and then just look at like Operation Mockingbird. And, and, you know, anytime you mention the CIA, people just automatically like look at you like you're wearing a tinfoil hat. And it's like, no, I'm not giving you I'm not giving you conspiracy stuff. This is uh, like declassified, well-known mainstream information like Operation Mockingbird, where the CIA takes journalists out of college and gets them hired at mainstream outlets and then tells them how to spin stories to favor the U.S., like the establishment. It's like that's a like you can show that to people, show them like MK Ultra, all of this crazy shit. Operation Timber Sycamore, where you know uh, Obama's CIA was literally arming Syrian jihadists in Syria, and it's like, okay, so we're siding with the people with Al Qaeda basically, and this is declassified out in the open information, and people just don't care because as long as you know Brian Williams or or mm-hmm. what's his name, you know, whatever the talking head is on CNN is, you know, wearing their nice suit and then presenting yeah. this in a nice fashion. They don't care, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I think most people though, well, even like the very programmed ones would tell you, like, if you were to ask them straight up, do you like trust your government? Do you believe in like corporate media is there to help you 
do you think they have your best interests in mind? Most people would probably say, fuck no, no way. Like, fuck those guys. They don't. But when it comes push to shove and they push out, like, this narrative, they buy it hook, line, and sinker. It's fucking crazy, man. Uh, yeah. I don't – have you read the book 1984? I just finished rereading it. So did I. So did I a yeah. few weeks ago. Yeah. There's a great term in there called double think, which I see all the time now, where it's, like, simultaneously believing two sides of a story to fit your agenda. And I see that now, like most people, like not most people, but like a lot of people like might think like, you know, this Corona shit is shit, right? It's like, there's more to it than meets the eye. But when it comes to like, if it's something that can like help their cause or something, they'll like, won't hesitate to say, oh, this and this in the middle of a pandemic, like this shit's going on. You know what I mean? Like simultaneously believing both sides, like knowing that something isn't right, but at the same time, like accepting that like. Right, like pretty much how, um, you know, how it was okay for Black Lives Matter to riot because racism is a public health issue as well. So the 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 disease yields to Black Lives Matter because I said, no, you guys, your cause is more important than me spreading my my virus. Um, yeah, that's the one thing where people are like, wait, what? Like, we're not allowed to protest the lockdowns, but if we're protesting like systemic racism or whatever the current hot button term is, then it's okay to gather in tens of thousands of people without masks. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's perfect example of double think right there. And like, it's not so much just like you actually believe it too. That's that's what the scary part is. Like, you simultaneously, legitimately believe both sides of that. Like, it's not okay to do that because of this, but it is okay to do that because it's for a righteous cause. Like, yeah, and the other glaring example of that right now is the vaccine. Because if you talk to, I mean, both left and right, this is a very uh, grassroots thing people feel is that the pharmaceutical industry is like insanely corrupt and that the FDA they've bought off the FDA and you know big pharma will will you know sell you uh you know the problem and not the cure to the problem and it's like oh yeah everybody knows that you know you take this one prescription and then you get two side effects that you need two more medications for and then they have Americans hooked on painkillers and all this stuff and it's like okay but do you think that when it comes time for the vaccine that they're just doing this like out of their benevolence and love for mankind or do you think they stand to rake in hundreds of billions of dollars off this like what is more likely so it's like when the fda or or whatever government official comes out and says you guys need to take this even though we've bypassed all of our own safety standards which are very lax to begin with and just trust us and take it for a virus that mutates and it's like we don't have a common cold vaccine but this time it's going to work, even though it's pretty much already mutated since the, the vaccine get it, was starting to get developed. Yeah, I don't understand, man. That's why like, man, I, I, I hate being on like social media, like content viewing. I mean, it really helps a lot with like my fight career to like con- be in contact with people. But you see it now. Like I remember months ago when the start like was first beginning in March, Marchish, like you would uh like the idea back then of like they're gonna make a vaccine uh, was still kind of conspiratorial, right? Like that was still kind of like whoa, be careful. But now it's like it's now they're full on like it, it's coming out, and now you got people that are straight up just like yeah, take it. We need to make this a memory. We need to do like now it's and now it's on that other end of like wow, they they made a vaccine. Like oh, it's just for the it's just for the cure for corona. It's just for corona. Like don't be conspiratorial. This this vaccine is like to help us. I and I think um. I think what we're seeing different is so in the past like total authoritarian takeover like with the government like having a monopoly on violence and coming in and controlling people at gunpoint to follow policies is not popular anymore and i think it's going to be very hard for them to uh to implement that way but what they've done is they've made it instead of like a, a legal punishment they've made it a social punishment right so even, like if a business like demands that you have to have a vaccine, or they that's how they can bypass that libertarian that argument. Such so be like, well, it's my private business, right? And I've been so brainwashed by like this entity now that I demand that you have wear a mask in my store. I demand that you have a vaccine to come in here because it's my right. It's my that's that's what to me is like kind of scary and like sad news. They can find a way to like bypass that libertarian viewpoint. Privatized tyranny. Sorry, we had no uh, data on this before that, like how they could privatize tyranny, like Nick said, like pre-COVID, yeah. I don't like not nah, private businesses wouldn't do it if there's, you know, if the if epidemiologists are saying that this, you know, is the you know not that bad, and you know we don't the masks are even controversial, where we even need them because um we had an epidemiologist on just a couple episodes ago, he said the masks just create fertile ground for the uh, disease to mutate. He said we could have hit herd immunity if we just 
were allowed to spread the virus and get 50% infected. And then we would, you know, everyone would have herd immunity, but we've kind of let it just real. We slowed the curve. And then once we opened the county back up, it boomed again. Um, Cause it was going to do that no matter what. So we just, del- we had or, uh, delayed the inevitable. And now we shut down the economy and created a bunch of carnage in the wake of a disease that probably would have been dealt with by now. Yeah, tons, tons of freaking carnage, dude. I can say everything in my life right now that's happened in 2020 from a negative perspective um, that has to do with corona has all been the reaction the reaction to corona and not the, the virus itself. I haven't had anything. You know, I'm sure some people have suffered from it. But, like, sure. from, my, from my reality, like, I – all these, like, I lost my job this year with the city. You know, I mean, government job, whatever. But, like, <laughs> lost my job with the city, lost, um, like, a couple fights this year. All due to like restrictions on Corona, but all due to the reaction of it, and that, that's just one small. I, I know there's people around here that have lost their businesses, their lives, work in the name of protecting people, in the name of keeping people safe, doing what's right. Um, I personally never wear a mask anywhere I go, and I get probably yelled at at least maybe once a day when I go into a store. Um, <laughs> I, I wear it because I, I wear it when I like go into my gym because like the the health. The, the health the county is like holding businesses hostage here like you have to enter with a mask you technically have to be wearing a mask at all times inside a business i wear it to like get inside the building for optics or whatever but they even have like spies coming in into businesses here in denver like that work for the health department and they will like go into gyms and take pictures of people that aren't wearing masks and send those pictures to like the the court or whatever and the court will issue like summons or fines or tickets or whatever to the business owners it's so wild yeah yeah i'm not to not to pivot too hard but i did want to ask you about that so how long ago was that that you made the move out to denver and team elevation uh 20 i visited here in 2016 i moved out here fucking what was it yeah february february 2017 so yeah so i mean Wow. So, and you know, I heard you mentioned uh, Alistair Overeem before, which Mike, my brother is not very educated on MMA, but he's one of the, you know, real MMA uh, heavyweight legends that's still yes. alive, you know, still around and fighting. And I mean, what, what is that like? Cause who else is out there that are big names that the average MMA fan might know? Big names. Uh, Neil Magny, obviously he's kind of, I guess he's not like super big name, but he's, he's well known to like your MMA. Um, oh yeah. A, a, you know, a hardcore uh, MMA fan is yeah. well aware. Uh, let's see. Big. Uh, I can't think. Uh, Gatesy. Um, Drew Dober, Corey. San- These are all kind of like mid newer names. Corey Sanhagen, uh, Drew Dober. I just said him um, on the spot. Why can't I think of it? Curtis, Curtis Blades, another heavyweight, yeah. one of the Illinois guys. Um, oh, I can't, I can't think of it. I know now if any of them listen to this, it's like, come on, man, you yeah. left me out. Like, so you know, like, wow, dude, you suck. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, that's cool. Cause I mean, what is that like? Uh, Cause obviously you're talking about coming from a smaller town where maybe you're a big fish in a small pond, but now you're going to this, you know, world-class gym with all these top tier guys uh, that are current right now. What is that like to just be, to be surrounded by that kind of uh, competition and greatness? I love it, man. Uh, Physically and mentally. So physically, obviously, you know, um, you're going to get better around killers and, you know, higher experienced people. You're just going to level up faster. And uh, mentally, um, you kind of use, you, you know, the cheesy cliches uh, saying, you know, surround yourself with like-minded people, you know, that want the same goals as you. And that's like, that's, you'll eventually find yourself there. Um, I totally, totally believe in that now. Like it's not, it's, I, I'm surrounded by other people that are where I want to be, that have done what I've done to get where they want to be and where I want to be. So it's just, I, I look at it as not a matter of if, but when, and it's, I, I just trust the process and, um, it just helps mentally know that you're going to get there and that it's, and you, when you see all these people here, it's like, none of them are like amazingly like special athletic gifted. They all just put in the hard work and time. And it's, it's not like, I don't know if fighting this, I, I guess maybe because the sport's so new, there aren't as many like freaks, I guess yet, but it's all about putting in the time and hard work and, and you can get where you want to be. 
Yeah, I think Neil Magny is like the uh, personification of that because he's not the most explosive athlete in the world by a long right. shot, but the guy's just known for having like this, you know, superhuman cardio. And they say, I know he's like a military veteran, so I'm sure he gets a lot of that like work ethic crossover. But uh, but no, that is that is sweet. I can only imagine if you're, uh, you know, making the jump to do it full time. Uh, and obviously, when you made that decision, that's when you decided like you're really pushing all your chips in on on, you know, making this run in MMA. Is that pretty much it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I had to make the change because um, essentially it was me, you know, my trainer Joe and uh, Austin Hubbard. It was basically us three, and we would travel up to Militich uh, a couple of days during the week to get some training. But once we uh, visited some gyms and went to Denver and saw like a real, like organized professional team with uh, like just a ha- like it's not a matter of so like the issue we had in our small town is we it pretty much just be me and Austin. Sometimes like people would show up, but it, no one would really be committed. It'd be like, okay, who's going to show up today? When you're out here, you know, you're going to get a room full of people that are wanting the same thing as you. And they're going to push you to, 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 to get to those goals. Yeah, no, that's sweet. Mike, did you have any questions on, on the whole uh, MMA fight camp? Um, well, yeah, like, like Nick said, I'm, I'm kind of uh, out of my area of expertise talking MMA. That's something that I've really watched Nick take a huge passion into. And I've, Learn really learn to grow in respect and uh especially just the the confidence and um like I said the individuality aspect of it I've really seen come through him. Um so I guess a good question would be um how yeah at what point did you decide that you were going to do this with your life and, and make a, a career out of it? Um and, and not just something you're doing as like a hobby or like a you know, like Nick does it more as not so much a hobby, I think more of a passion, love for the sport. Um, so what, when did you decide that this is something you felt you could take and make a living off of? Yeah. Uh, I swear, I swear to God, dude, the fight club days when I was like, oh, yeah. I swear to God, man, when I, uh, I've, I've, I fought someone in the fight club, uh, that I had like beef with like previous years. Like he had punked me out at school. Like I made out with his girlfriend. So like it's cool. He came up. I remember one time he came up to me and like socked me in the face, dude, just fucking cold cocked me. And I did nothing. Cause he was with some buddies. I just like did nothing. I ended up fighting him at one of the, the fight club things we had. And I, uh, I like choked him out with a rear naked choke. And like, but before that, like I hit him hard, dude, and, like broke his nose and like submitted him. And, and it, it was just an amazing thing. I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's fun. And just seeing like, I don't know. I just, I knew like I, I had a background in wrestling, so I already had somewhat of a base. I wasn't like in a standout wrestler by any stretch of the means, but honestly, yeah, the fight club days when I was like 18 or 19, that, that, it's I don't know how to describe it, man. It's just, uh, they had the adrenaline, the, the thrill of winning, the, that feeling when you hit someone in the face and like, you just hear the leather on the glove go smack. <laughs> I don't know, dude. It was, it was amazing. So I, I just, from a very young age, I, I, I guess I knew that's what I wanted. However, I knew um, I was very behind skill-wise. Like I said, I was probably mediocre at best wrestler. So I knew it was going to be a long time before I turned pro. We, So I uh, I, tra- I had amateur fights from 19 to 25. I went 10 and 0. And then after that, it was time to make the transition. Yeah, you know, you're talking about the fight club. That's funny. With something I didn't mention earlier, our version of that, uh, because when I first started watching the UFC, it's like all I played, I played baseball and football, but basically me and the the baseball team, we would like order the UFC pay-per-view and then just get really jacked up on Mountain Dew and then just grapple afterwards. Cause we were kind of, nice, we were kind of pushing. Nice. Like we didn't want to punch each other in the face, but it would be like, yeah. we just, you know, wrestle on somebody's carpet and then not know what the fuck we're doing with an arm bar, yeah. you know? And it was, uh, so that it's funny, similar story. And I'd have to imagine it would warm my heart to know that like younger kids are still doing that today. It's like, I, I remember know. a couple of years ago, there's a park across the street from my house. And this is like two years ago. I was taking the dog out, uh, to just for a walk at the end of the night. And I come back and there's this circle of kids that are probably, it's probably like 12, 14 of them. And these kids are probably 15, 16 years old. And they all have like their flashlights out and they're just boxing in the center. Like they're right on the sidewalk. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Oh, this is great. And I was like, cause they were fighting over cement and I'm like, Hey, and they all like stopped and like turned around. I'm like, guys fight on the grass. You don't want to bounce your head off concrete. They're like, yeah. 
oh, okay. And they like, yeah, they screwed it over. They thought you were like coming to bust them. Yeah, yeah for real. Though. Yeah. Like, dude, what if they get knocked down and like being a coma for the rest? Yeah, it was fun though. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I hope doesn't die out when we watch like the whole like culture war in the moment that we're in this country right now where you have like this, everybody's trying to be made aware of like toxic masculinity and all this stuff. And it's like, I feel like we're being systematically declawed, especially the young men in this country where it's like, you know, your masculinity and your, your drive for competition. These are all toxic, bad things that we're trying to like root out of our society when it's like, I think that that desire for competition and like roughhousing, especially in young men, especially in like those formative teenage years, that's something that's really important. And I feel like we have seen a decline of that. And I mean, I'm 26, uh, you know, Mike's 30. So we're all around the same age. And I noticed that when we were coming up, it was probably already on the decline relative to when I talked to like a friend who's like 40 years old or 45, it seems like they were way more likely to, you know, you have a beef with somebody, you fight them and then you're good yeah. afterwards. And you know, it, it seems like kids these days, now I sound like an old man, you know, these kids that are just 10 years younger than me, but yeah, it seems nice. like they're just way more complacent to just kind of play video games. And I don't know, it doesn't seem like there's that kind of like hijinks. That's actually like when you're young, you want to see kids, you know, be aggressive and stupid and make mistakes yes. and then learn from them. And, and it's yes. like, no, don't even make those mistakes anymore. You're bad. That's a great point, man. And like, you know, I fucking... I love video games as much as the next nerd, but you're absolutely right. There has to be like, and it kind of makes you wonder now, like with all this, like I'm going back to the conspiratorial, but like this whole agenda, oh, like, yeah. But like now, like now, you, now the message is stay inside. Don't go outside, like reinforce like this, what you're saying, like they, just be safe, stay, stay home. Don't go outside. Don't explore. Don't do anything like, which leads to it's a lot easier just to stay home and fucking play video games and zonk out and not explore like what you're saying, like not like not be around other children, not yeah. being around other like boys and not like roughhousing, doing whatever, like fighting and like like kids fighting that's been going on since like the beginning of mankind. Someone either punched someone in the face first or they grabbed somebody. So it was either wrestling or boxing or something. But mm-hmm. you're seeing that like even furthermore, like so like when we were kids, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if when when you were in high school, like a lot of times kids would fight, but that would be like you know they'd go to the principal's office or something. But now it's like if kids fight in school, like there's a cop called, there's par- charges being pressed, kids are get like someone's gonna yeah. get arrested. So it's been yeah, like no, further that, disincentivized. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's what's so disappointing is, uh, and I don't know if you follow Michael Malice at all, but I remember he made this point where he's saying like the modern uh, take, especially with the school system and how fights are handled now legally, where if you're straight up defending yourself and you fight back, the cop comes and they arrest both kids. Like you're both getting taken away, even if everybody knows that you were defending yourself. And then every teacher's like, well, it doesn't matter who started it. And Michael Mouse is saying like, (laughs) fuck you. That's all that matters is who started it, you know? Yeah. And, And I don't know, it's like, it's been disincentivized to this point where, you know, kids aren't learning that kind of thing where it's like, Hey, if you're going to disrespect somebody and talk shit, there's going to be physical consequences to that. So really think twice before you say something. And, you know, and also if you're the aggressor, you throw the first punch, you're going to get in trouble where if you're defending yourself, you're completely in the right to do that. So it's like all of these lessons are just getting kind of like phased out and removed to where now people are kind of confused about the nature of violence. And really the only thing they know is authority. Like, I just know that I don't want to get in trouble with the cops and all of these other social aspects have been pushed to the side. Right. You got the same, same way now where people are afraid to even shoot an intruder in their own house because they could get arrested. You know, it's like, it's that same thing where it's like, well, it doesn't matter who's in the wrong, you know, this is a crime and guns are bad. Um, yeah, that's a really dangerous sentiment for people to, to be living through. Yeah. That's a great point too, Nick, when you said, um, it helps, it further pushes that idea that like, you need to, uh, like defer to the state or this uh, governing body instead of like resolving it on your own. I want to hear about your guys' like kind of what led you down to the red pill. Cause like I was saying, it was. It was the food system for me. And then eventually someone said to me, like, 
like you know a lot about like I was I was like going crazy dude when I was like 19 like posting on fuck you know nobody wants to see your fucking crazy political posts on Facebook or any of that crap but I was like posting like food article shit all the time and someone was like told me like you, you're really smart when it comes to the food stuff but you don't know about like the shadow government I was like what are you fucking talking about <laughs> and sure enough I started like typing in some shit I found like an Alex Jones video like just just grassroots organically found that and then he it was an episode and he had Ron Paul on that that was over at that point dude found Ron Paul started just listening to hours and hours and hours of videos of like mm-hmm. I never heard a politician speak and say things that made so much sense and so simple right like it, it, it just it just like a light bulb dude and it yeah, I, 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 I truly say that like, he's one of my biggest heroes in life, Ron Paul. He really woke me up oh, yeah. to like, the no. idea of liberty, man. And when, yeah, when you're his gonna... time comes and he's gone, it's going to be a very sad day. Yeah. yeah well, um, you're gonna like uh, you're gonna like our origin story then because it's somewhat similar. I mean, Mike and I we just grew up in a you know our dad, an entrepreneur, uh, was a part owner of a construction business. Um, you know, we we come from an Irish Italian Catholic family. You know, our grandparents are from Chicago. So we just kind of grew up like conservative, you know, just kind of milk toast conservative. And then I think 9-11 was definitely a shifting point where, you know, the entire right half of the country was just in support of whatever war there was. And my dad had us red pilled from a young age on like the administrative state, like regulations and and all these things and how they how the government interferes and is this terrible business partner like we're talking about. Yeah. So then, you know, we're just kind of conservatives that like hate, hate the state. And then uh, for me, it was in 2012, Ron Paul's uh, presidential campaign where I was just having fun at school. Cause I was a senior that year. And I was just saying like, Hey, you know, that guy running for president's my great uncle. And all these girls are like, Oh my God. You know? So that was just a joke, but he got my attention that way. And then I yeah. loved everything he had to say except for the foreign policy stuff, because I was still just under that impression that like, yep. well, yeah, these terrorists, like it's just, it's Islam yep. that the only reason they want to kill us. And then it the was just, like, taking those, yeah. yeah. And then it was just yeah. taking those doses of like, Hey, you know, the reason that uh, terrorists want to come here and hurt us is because we're in their countries bombing them. Yep. And it's like, yep. Oh yeah. And when you kill people's families, uh, they're going to have a vendetta against you. And it was yes, just like that. Forever. And then, yeah. And then it was just the same thing that you talked about. Just, I went through a phase of just like binging Ron Paul videos for hours at a time. And then, you know, that led me down like the Murray Rothbard rabbit hole where it's like, you know, all of a sudden you start getting into like anarchism, but, uh, but yeah, no, similar thing I would say to your story. Mike, did you want to add to that? Well, yeah, basically our story is very the same. I'll, I'll add that Nick really woke me up to the first time I ever gave uh, Ron Paul the time of day was because Nick's like, have you heard like what Ron Paul says? And I'm like, no, I thought he's a kook. That's what everyone says on TV. He's right. a kook. He's like, no, he's brilliant. Talking about the instability of spending trillions of dollars and yeah. not balancing a budget. Like, <laughs> right. crazy okay yeah. And, uh, yeah, then, so, yeah, I was always into politics pretty heavily. Um, I've always been fascinated by economics. So that's been something that just, mm. because I'm really into business and, and money. So just the whole, it's just fascinating how the economy works. And I'm always eager to learn more about it. But um, yeah, it was once I started listening to, to Ron Paul and then that kind of led into like a podcast circle of libertarian podcast hosts that I've been listening for about five years now. And it's, it's my going to college with the amount of knowledge that you get out of that with on economics and history and um, mm-hmm. taxes, everything and how government works. Yeah. So that's really kind of opened my eyes up, up to it. But then once again, you like, you want to tell everyone like, guys, this is the answer. Stop with the right and left yep. stuff. But yes, Nobody wants Nobody to hear gives it. A shit. Nobody gives no. a shit, dude. Like they have to want to. And it's like, uh, yeah, man, when I found out about, like, it was the same time around for you, Nick. It was like 2011 when I discovered Ron Paul. I was like, this guy has to win. He has to fucking be our fucking guy. Right. And then like, you really, your eyes open to like how programmed everyone is when like fucking like you find out like 1% of the population like actually votes maybe libertarian <laughs> like and the rest are all <laughs> yeah. just pl- plugged yeah. like oh we're really small like yeah. we're not even <laughs> fucking close a little libertarian bit. party is, does not represent libertarians very well it's a joke but uh yeah and Justin I don't know if you're familiar with uh Dave Smith the comedian he's got a big he's probably the biggest libertarian podcast have you ever listened to his show before uh uh-huh. okay Smith. well he's I'll check him he, out. Oh, yeah. for sure. Um, he's got this, uh, he's talking about when he first discovered, uh, you know, libertarianism in 2008 during the Ron Paul's first run. 
And he goes, he, he came from the left, like from New York City. He's like, I was never like devoted into politics. I just kind of came from, you know, my parents were Democrats. And yep, he's talking about same. how he heard. Ron, yeah. So he talked about how he heard uh, Ron Paul talking about the wars. And he's like, he's like, yeah, this guy is like, you know, not taking any shit. And he's like saying this to all these, these Republicans, which is cool. And then he hears him talk about the Federal Reserve. And he's like, yeah, like, oh he's talking about how they they print money and give it yep. to banks. They loan it out at interest with money that they made out of thin air. He's like, well, let me look into this because that can't possibly be how it actually oh, works. God. Then he goes, <laughs> look it up. and it's like, and sure enough, that's how it works. He's like, yeah. oh my God, I can't wait to tell everybody I know about this. And because like yep. if we just tell people about it, they're gonna be yep. outraged. It's like, and guess what? Nobody really gives a shit, you know, unfortunately. And that's why one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast, the last few episodes with um, like Mike was talking about this libertarian kind of podcast circuit. We've been fortunate enough to have some of those guys on uh, uh, quite a few of them that have, uh, you know, come on the show. And right now it's, it's weird because like the Joe Jorgensen campaign was such an utter failure. And it's because they watered down the messaging and they're, they're they don't have that like unapologetic stance that we should be yes. having. Like this yeah. year should be a huge platform for libertarians, like the shutdowns, all of the money printing, all this stuff. And, uh, and you know, they, they took a knee when it was, you know, the biggest opportunity ever. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, it's, we, we've been talking about on the show, like, what is the strategy moving forward? And unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to have a national candidate again that's really going to capture any kind of like populist uh, wave the way we see like Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, like they were able to do this kind of like anti-establishment populist wave. I don't know if libertarianism is ever going to be that unless we have like some insanely charismatic guy doing it. Um, And, you know, our last guest, Matt Erickson, was talking about how Ron Paul is kind of the exception that proves the rule. It's like, yeah. You know, he was talking about how H.L. Mencken said back in the 1920s that the average person doesn't want to be free. He simply wants to be safe. And it's like if you sell people freedom, it's like uh, that, that sounds terrible. Like I want a strong police force and a welfare state and social safety net and all these things. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, like right now, I just in 2024, I just want to have an unapologetic kind of hard ass, you know, libertarian who just tells the truth and then just let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Uh, I feel you there, man. Um, I felt that a lot, like when there's like, you know, you'd see like Joe things like it's not enough to be like anti-racist. We have to actively be anti yeah. like, kind of feeding into like the to that crap. But at the same time, I will say like I met people that saw Joe's shit and like um it did wake them up. You know, maybe not like the way like we would have like liked where you say like be more unapologetic, but I I have met some people that like like got turned on by the idea of liberty and like people i talk like well if you like that go listen to this guy named ron paul but don't don't listen to what he says about the federal reserve otherwise you'll just lose your mind otherwise it's <laughs> like you'll be wanting to tell everyone all this craziness and like trying to like save the world to wake everyone up and help them understand but i don't know man nobody uh it's just i'd rather just live my day to day like you said i'd just rather be safe secure and you know get by get through the day yeah, I think people, you know, we're we're all creatures that uh, in some way or another like to take the path of least resistance. The masses, not speaking for all of us individually. Oh, for sure. But, it's the easy know, so thing to like, do, for sure. Yeah, it's easy. It's like, just get the vaccine. Just wear the mask. Don't put up a fight. You know, yep. just go about your life. It's like, every, there's some people that just, they take the path of least resistance. They don't want to, they don't, they don't want to be controversial. Like uh, Nick talks about, like yep. Jordan Peterson says, uh, you know, the, 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 wolf will go after the sheep that's away from the herd so nobody wants to be that sheep that's left alone so they all want to stay together in their herd um and it takes very small percentage of people in the population that are willing to step out and say no i'm, I'm gonna stand up to this wolf you know well and that's that's the one thing just i wanted to add to that while you're on that topic when mm -hmm. we're talking about the kind of like privatized tyranny and how we're gonna see like airlines that enforce like you need a vaccination card to fly and employers yep. that are saying like masks you know till infinity and you need to have a vaccination to work here it's like if all of the people if you just like take a, a straw poll of people and you say like how do you feel about like all of this like mandatory vaccine stuff even if it's not coming from the state most people are creeped the hell out by it like they don't like yeah. it and you just took all of those people and say no like in a sense we're unionizing like no we're not doing this shit we're, we're it's fucking not happening do you understand like if we all kind of did that all the people that are skeptical of of this shit being pushed 
there's no way they could do it. You're not going to lose half mm. the workforce. You know, it's just not going to happen. That's what I'd love to see. Like some sort of like, you know, hashtag on Facebook and Twitter that just goes like viral. Like we will not comply. You know, it's, yeah. that's what we need to see grassroots resistance to this kind of privatized tyranny. Well, there's a problem is that the, with this new censored media, um, they, yeah. can, yep. they suppress, they suppress all that stuff. Like right yep. now, Yesterday, there was a giant Trump mega rally in Washington. I mean, tens of thousands of people parade and they've been doing these like weekly, but they're getting bigger and bigger. No airtime. You know, like my dad is showing me a YouTube channel on this. And I'm like, I mean, there's there's like Latinos for Trump, blacks for Trump, gays for Trump, trans for Trump, all these people marching in unison in the street. It's not on any major net news network. I'm like, how is this not a story? This is one of like, the biggest political protests in U.S. history. And it's not even worth getting any airtime on, on national news. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking wild, man. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, it doesn't serve their agenda. Yeah. I, I unfortunately guys, yeah, my, I got twin babies that are 18 months old and they just woke up. My wife texts me and no, nah, man, this is awesome. Um, it's, it's great to talk to people that are philosophically like-minded. It's so it's, it's crazy out here, man. Uh, you guys are both in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you, you like it's probably very similar here as it is to over there, where you have a crazy governor that's pushing these crazy lockdowns and probably surrounded by a lot of people that just feed into it. So it's uh nice to share some ideas with people that see the light, so to speak. Absolutely, happy to do it anytime, man, and uh, good luck with the uh, UFC career. Hey, man, just gotta get there, just gotta win the fights, and it'll all fall into place. For sure. Yeah, Justin, appreciate you having you. Thanks, guys.